I don't get a chance very often because I'm either like secluding myself to pray before the service or I'm running around like a madman right before the service. Um, and I, today I, I didn't have either of those things. So I was praying for a while and then I came out and I was hanging out for a little while out front. Um, and uh, this is just an encouragement to you. Um, not, I, truly an encouragement, not like an encouragement like that's cloaking a massive critique. It, I mean it more of an encouragement as somebody who's late to everything all the time. Um, so much of the teaching already happened today. Uh, and I say that in the way of for us coming together and reorienting ourselves around that which we believe is most true. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I know not everyone in this room is a Christian. It's really great to have those who aren't. I'm so glad this place feels safe for you to come and explore your spirituality with us. But for the rest of us, when we come, we come because that first 30 minutes we spend together is, is meant to be a, a time that helps draw us out of ourselves and our own minutiae and, and inward focused things that kind of tend to like trap us and to actually lift our hands and surrender or to go down on our knees and remember um, who we are and who God is. A time to remember the love of God. We do um, confession and assurance every morning uh, pretty much because there's something important about being reminded of where we've come from and the reality of the day-to-day brokenness that still infects our hearts and the assurance of a love that meets us right where we are at and a grace that covers us. And those, similar to offering as Sarah was talking about a spiritual discipline, that's what we're doing when we come together in part as we're singing to God, as we're reminding ourselves and beginning a new week from a place of gratitude. Praise the name for the Lord most high. Praise his name forever for he, he is good for his love endures. Like we remember like the source of everything as we begin our week. We remember the gift of life in God's grace. We remember our brokenness for a moment to only be reminded of the assurance that we have in God. We give at the beginning of the week because there's something, even if it's just like we remember our automatic payment comes out at the beginning of the month. We give because it's a moment to recalibrate and realize everything we have is a gift. Now, I know most of you all know all of that. I just, I felt the need to remind myself this morning of why we like arrive and spend time together singing and spend time together in quiet and spend time allowing our amazing team to lead us through liturgy. Um, So I just wanted to say that. Sound good? Great. Awesome. Uh, We're closing a series this morning uh, on, uh, we've we've just called it Free Spirit. It's uh, a season that we kind of focus on every year, speaking of disciplines, where we focus in on the the work of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was six weeks ago. It's this giving of the, the day uh, in our tradition that the giving of the Holy Spirit happened. God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the work of God made known to us. Somehow Jesus' Spirit to remind us, to teach us, to make Jesus real to us as we go about our day. And so we've had, as I was reflecting back on some of the teachings and notes, how good was Greg Johnson's talk last week? Yeah, come on. I got to actually pause on that. A couple home groups, uh, one I think is happening today too, actually spent time just like stepping away from what they were planning on doing and, and took some of Greg's suggestions and did some listening prayer exercises, which sounds really weird if you're from the outside, but that's cool. Uh, it was incredible. Like some stories. Where's the West Side home group at? I heard some amazing stories where Adam was lying about what God did in your group 
uh, of just uh, opening up uh, more and being able to be more attentive and listen to the spirit at work around us. Um, man, what a great teaching. But so many of the talks, I think for the most part, have been a little on the heavier side. And so this morning, I just wanna encourage you. I wanna, I wanna um, if, if you have felt, I know some of you often feel uh, like this has been floating up here to spend a few minutes, just a few minutes this morning, uh, talking about like life in the ordinary, talking about the moments that you find yourself in at this time, whether it's a hard place or, or just sort of a, feels like an ordinary place. And what could it look like for you to realize the potential of the moment and the space that, you, that you're in, to realize the fact that that the spirit might be moving, that, that, that God's grace and love and voice may be speaking in, in situations that you feel like uh, you haven't been paying attention to. I was reading a stat recently, 40-something percent, I think it is, 48% of um, people tend to sort of have most of their thought life uh, outside of the present moment. Uh, it was, it's a tough thing to sort of quantify, but in this study that happened, realizing that this massive chunk of people found themselves regularly uh, somewhere else, uh, regularly uh, not uh, zeroed in on what's actually happening in front of them. This is right why traffic happens, right? This is, this is, this is why people get into car accidents, right? This is why... Um, this just this morning, <laughs> I was had the team. We do a little rally, uh, just kind of encourage, praying for everybody, making sure everything's all taken care of before we go. And uh, I looked up at my friend Monica, and I was like, "Monica, hey, it's really good. How are you? How good to see you?" As I was also doing like four other things on my phone, and she was like, "Great. How are you? Awesome." What's going on? Like, I don't even know actually what she said because my phone, I was just, I had gone, hey, good to see you. And I was right back down. She's like, great, good talk. All right, we find ourselves, we find ourselves massively disconnected so often from where we're actually at. Or we find ourselves, I think, in places that we can't control. But what I want to put out to you this morning is that we can actually control what's coming through us. We find ourselves in places and things that are happening that we can't control, but we can actually control our awareness and our attentiveness to what God might actually be doing in the present moment. I'm in a moment, I'm going to read a story in the book of Acts that describes uh, these two early uh, followers of Jesus who are starting new churches, like new outposts. This is where the revolution started was right here, setting up outposts of love and grace, pointing people to Jesus, allowing God to manifest himself inside of these communities that were being set up. And these two who are doing God's work, who are fired up, who like have penned major portions of scripture, they find themselves in jail. And what begins to actually happen and what we learn about a little bit of their mindset from just looking at how they handle this moment of being in a place that they could not control, didn't plan on being at. And when we talk about how wild the spirit is, we talk about how God will move, how God's gonna move, how we can take hold of the miraculous and the beautiful and the loving in every moment of every day even at home, 
when diapers are being changed, like even in the cubicle. That's right, folks, even in the cubicle. Can I get an amen? Like even, even in the classroom, in that class that you're like, why on earth am I taking this class? Even in the degree program that you were racking up massive debt and you're not quite sure why you even decided to come to this beautiful place called Providence. Even, even in the place of deep financial loss, even in the place of great wealth and joy that God is at work in the here and now and that his spirit truly being free and wild that wants to empower us, reveal the person of Jesus, set us free, that too often we are somewhere else and we are invited to be here now. Too often we find ourselves unaware of the things that are right in front of us. And the worst part about all that that I just said is probably every one of you go, yeah, of course that's true. But if we were to take inventory, if you were to take some inventory this morning of how good you are at actually making some space for God in your day-to-day, I just wonder how that would work out. I wonder how much time gets a lot. Of course, I need to be fully present. Of course, I tell people that all the time. Of course, I need to be aware. Of course, like cool things can happen in the current place that I'm at. Of course, I can reorient myself. Of course, of course are the worst words, right? Of course. It's like the, it's like the way that you brush somebody off or an idea away. Of course. Oh my gosh, are we really gonna sit through 30 minutes of Andrew telling me I need to be more present and aware of God right here and now? Of course. Because it dismisses the reality that you might not be great at it. It dismisses the reality that there might be so much more beauty to go and more opportunity in front of you. It dismisses the fact that some of you would brush a talk like this off before you've even heard it. And I would do the same. I'm with you on this. I get it where you're like, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. That's cute, but I am actually struggling with X or Y or Z that is a little far beyond just like, be where you are. Anybody? So the story that we're gonna read, before, before I actually read it, I, I, wanna, I wanna tell you a story. So when we... Um, my wife and I uh, started to entertain the, the idea of marriage. I think it was actually after we were engaged. Um, I can't remember where it was. Wait, why did you all laugh at that? <laughs> Someone will tell me later what I did. Um, I, uh, I, we, we found out that we probably uh, wouldn't be able to have kids. Uh, and so it was this moment for any of you who've ever struggled with infertility or know somebody who has, where as I'm sort of hit with this information, we're talking about this, we're trying to work through what that, what that would mean. There was this moment for us. I, I shouldn't speak for, for, for my wife. I know there's this moment for me that seemed like we were tracking. Where the question shifted quickly to a place of, all right, so what, what's God gonna do with this? So there's hardship, no one's taking that away. There's pain, no one's taking that away. There's the naivete of, well, we haven't really even started trying, so maybe we won't, but we're praying for a miracle, right? 
I get all that. That's all there on the table. I'm not trying to whitewash something. You guys know me as a teacher. Like, I'm not trying to pretend like that stuff's not there. But I just want to be honest that we asked the right question. And it was amazing. It was amazing because we started to ask, God, what would you do with this What would it look like for us to adopt? What would it look like for us to trust you with this thing that we've wanted for so long? Those of you who know my wife know she is an incredible mother. And there's just something in her that just is like built to mother. Man, I didn't, I I tend to brush stuff off. My personality type is I don't want to feel that pain. Let's just move on, right? So God actually used even that in this situation to go, okay, so what? So what, what will this look like? And beginning to pray, we started to um, realize that uh, this one person in our community that we, uh, we were serving through an after-school program, we were incredibly concerned that they uh, had gotten pregnant. This really, really, really young high school girl. Actually, she wasn't high school yet. She was late elementary. We were really, really, really concerned. And so we started asking the question, all right, well, would we, would we offer if they, to, 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 to take the, the baby? Like, God, what do you want to do with this? Maybe there's going to be some surprising, unique, and bizarre way you're going to bring a child into our life. Maybe, and this is hard, like maybe, God, you don't, maybe children aren't in the cards for us. Maybe there's something else. It was an immediate, not immediate, it was a moment. And over the course of however long started to change the way in which we saw this situation that we could not control. Now, many of you know our story, and I won't get into it all going forward. But it continues to be something that has still shaped to this day how we think about what God is going to do in our hearts. What God is going to do given the reality of what feels like this broken situation, of of this thing that really is not how it's, at least it seems like it's not supposed to be. We found ourselves in a situation where we, we couldn't control what was happening, but we could control actually what was coming through us, the prayers that we were praying. I never felt like they were in a moment where like that kind of thing felt impossible to do. No, 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 okay, I get God could do something, but this is what I want. This is where I want to be. Or for some of us, it's, well, maybe it'll just get better on the other side of whatever else. The book of Acts. Let's start in uh, verse 22. Paul and Silas are going around starting these churches. And when you start doing the work of love and mercy and justice, when you start claiming that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, Jesus is Lord and not the president, Jesus is Lord, and actually his system and his way versus the country we find ourselves under or the control we find, like stuff starts to change. Sometimes things seem to align with the powers that be and sometimes there is great dissonance, amen? current political environment. You guys with me? Amen? Okay. Hillary is Lord? Trump is Lord? Okay. We all good? We good? I just thought if I said Hillary and Trump, I thought the room might perk up. 
These guys are going around to proclaiming that actually I don't really care about the roots of whatever or the nation or what, that this is the way we are called to live and what we are called to be in and be a part of. It was radical and revolutionary. And so all these different small things started to happen. And one thing that happened was Paul and Silas get thrown in jail because they end up accidentally disrupting the whole economic system of what was going on. It's a pretty neat story. You can read the backstory before. So here we find themselves, 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. You got Paul and Silas in jail, a guard guarding them carefully. I'm not sure how other way you guard prisoners, but it was, he was careful. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet and stocks. This is actually incredibly important detail. The inner cell is where you put the worst of people. When you actually read the story, they didn't really do a whole lot. They delivered this woman from, the, from this evil and it ended up affecting some of like the economic systems that were going on and somebody made a stink. And others, people were out to get it. They were out to get them. And so they find themselves in a place where normally you would have murderers um, and some of the, the worst of society in the inner cell. About midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Shame, right? This is a, sh- a-, a culture that has these elements of like shame and honor. If this, whether he had actually fallen asleep or he had gotten knocked on the head with a rock or however that worked out in the situation where the prisoners had gotten free and the guard is held responsible whether or not it was his fault or not. And so he's like, I'm gonna, I, I, there's no use even living because I know the consequences are that are gonna happen to me. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Let's play this back. Violent earthquake. People set free. Paul and Silas, who didn't deserve to be there in any way. They especially didn't deserve to be in the inner cell with the worst of the worst. And somehow, act of God, act of nature, God moving through nature. I don't know what your theodicy is like. But at the end of the day, they're free. And Paul and Silas run out the door. Because we're free. How good is God? And they run. No, they don't. What do they do? Stay back. They stay back. They stay back and apparently make sure that the guard doesn't kill himself. The guard who's watching them carefully, the guard that is part of the Roman imperial body, He stays back. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The jailer called for lights, 
rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Something happens in this moment that's just amazing. What must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. That hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have offered, have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we were Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want us to, to want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. If you're following along in this story, this is Paul being incredibly awesome. Right? Paul's like, wait, 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 wait. You want us now to skip out because this whole ordeal went down. And you just want us to leave quietly because this whole thing was really disruptive and made you look really bad. You didn't even know that we were Roman citizens. Actually, it means that he did not like let anybody know when he was first being thrown in jail. And what does he do? Have you ever heard the technical phrase, putting someone on blast? Anyone know what that means? Urban Dictionary. You can. <laughs> he just goes like, ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to go anywhere because this looks awful for you. We're going to uh, we're gonna just sit back and let the implications of what just happened. The implications of this man is not saved. The implications of we didn't run and we didn't do actually even anything wrong. The implications that actually... Where the problem lies is with you. When Paul says to the Romans, love your enemies, do not take revenge, and you will heap burning coals on your enemies. Anyone ever read that verse before? We talked about that before. This is kind of what's going on. It's like when you just love somebody and you just step away and back off, you end up revealing the ugliness and brokenness in somebody else. This is why as followers of Jesus, we don't kill. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens. Now let them come themselves. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they had heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them out of the prison, requesting they leave the city. After Paul came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met up with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. This was a church in the area that they had started. This is a story about things not being fair. This is a story about things not being fair. Anything not fair in your life right now. I was in a band for a long time. It was like, I know people talk about like we almost made it. That's like a thing people say if you've ever met anybody. Anyone have a friend that's in a band or in a band? You ever heard the phrase, yeah, we almost made it. Decided to go a different direction. We actually almost made it, I swear. <laughs> I swear, I swear. We were shopping a demo deal with a particular record company that kind of was a big deal. 
And uh, I was sitting in the office alongside, uh, actually, Brenton Mancuso, some of you know him, his sister. She was in our band. And we're sitting there listening to the lawyer, and we look up, and there's, like, the Dixie Chicks, like, 10 platinum record on the wall, and Creed and Outcast. It was a great combination. That wall wanted to fall down on itself. Dixie Chicks, Creed, Outcast. But those are huge names. I mean, they're kind of, everyone knows their names even now. But at the time, that was like, <laughs> not Creed, but the other two where I was okay. And so we're sitting there, and uh, my own prison, and um, sitting there across the desk from in the music industry, a lawyer is basically your agent. There are agents in the industry, but a lawyer basically serves as helping figure out the deal and beginning to shop a good deal to others. And this guy was the guy. And we're sitting there, and he begins to tell us of how these two demo deals had gotten stalled and why. It was right at the moment that the industry started to wobble and was beginning to move into decline. The A&R guy that we had at Sony, long story, just had been, he had become our manager. And we were so excited that we had an A&R guy. It wasn't a conflict of interest when all this stuff, and then we found out he had gotten fired and he didn't tell us. Not a great situation. And we're sitting there going, oh my gosh, we, like, we have done all this work to get to this place. And here we are floundering. And it was right around that time that I didn't really know this, but our drummer and bass player in the band uh, were having a really hard time. Our guitar, they ended up staying for a little while longer, but our guitar player who was a good friend of mine. We had some little like Yoko Ono, Fleetwood Mac, don't have a girl in the band issues. Never have a girl in your band or a boy in your band. Like if you're one gender or the other, like it's just tough. You get the Yoko Ono effect. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Long story short, there was like a little drama all of a sudden, in the course of six months, we found ourselves, me, talking up this big game of, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. Everything I have ever wanted in terms of like being a musician and doing this full time and getting to record in New York City and just gotten back from Chelsea Markets and Sterling Sound and like all this stuff. And we're like, oh, this is not going to happen six months later. We had people leaving the band. I was trying to like, like make the thing happen on my own and I did not have the magic of the band in my own heart. <laughs> and all of a sudden I found myself in a situation that I just could not control. And instead in this moment, like I told the story of my wife and I, it was sort of the flip where everything in my life was what's next, what's next, what's next. Once I get over this hump, once we get this guy, yeah, we'll be okay, guys, as long as we can get some extra members in. We just need to get and talk to those people over there, and we need to make that contact happen. And I know we just lost this lawyer who was gonna represent us, but now is seeing the internal workings of what's happening, so let's go into, and everything was about what's next. Anyone feel like they're somewhere else regularly? The grass is always greener. If I could just get to this place, once I settle down, once we have this amount of money, once we have this amount of control, once we're settled in this kind of place, once I finish my degree, once I, once I. This is a story of doing the right thing and things not going the way that they were supposed to go. This is about being stuck and being taken off course. You can't always control what's happening to you, but you can control what's coming through you. You can control the prayers that you pray and the way in which you are open or not. Paul and Silas find themselves in a place they didn't choose and rather to complain and to sulk, they still believe that they could move in that space. 
They don't put their eyes on where they wish they were. It says that they began to worship. Even in the midst of the chaos of the prison walls caving in, of chains coming off, what do they do? They're so awake and aware of what's happening. What do they do? They stop. No one would have faulted them in this story if it ended with, what a miraculous God who sets them free, and they run off into the distance, into the horizon. Hooray. Right? Would any of you have faulted them? No. And yet, they stop. The risk of being thrown back in jail, the risk of being captured again. They put their eyes not on where they wish they were, but they put their heart on God. I think there is a danger in our church, in our generation, in our culture, I see it everywhere, of being so fixated on the future because you don't like what or where you are. The someday I'll get there. The someday I'll get there. The someday I'll get there. We have to quit waiting for the next thing when God has set you free now. And I just want to submit in the most annoying, pastorly way possible that it doesn't, maybe this isn't annoying. You can do it. Just you. You can, you can make space. You are in control to a certain degree of your schedule. You can begin to pray the prayer, God, what would it look like for you to blank this morning? God, help me become aware of what you are up to. Or, God, change my attitude because I know the way of life does not include cynicism and complaining and snark. Those are not fruits of the Spirit. Amen. I heard somebody say once, like, you could change your whole workplace if we just trusted the verse, like, don't go on complaining, like, and you'll shine like stars amongst, like, the Gentiles. It's like, how many water coolers, like, would be changed, like, the talk around the water cooler, how many current climates and cultures of your workplace would be changed? And I'm not just talking about, like, just be nicer. I mean, making space for the spirit to move. Like making space, if we trust, and if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you trust that God has set you free and God is at work in renewing all things in the world, then there can be an opportunity around every corner to begin to reorient ourselves toward God, to reclaim and reframe our space. Paul and Silas couldn't control being in prison, but they turned it into their platform. They turned it into their platform. They saw an opportunity when they were in prison and there's so many of us who don't reclaim and reframe our space. That this is God's space, even though it may feel like the devil's. (laughs) This is God's space where I'm working, where I spend most of my day in this tough season of life. And I can begin to actually, I want to see this God from your perspective. This sounds so elementary, but I wouldn't say it if I didn't think that most of us don't actually just pray that one simple prayer. Like, God, will you re- help me see this from your angle? Like, just pray, help me see this from your angle. 
Help me, like, there's this verse you may have heard before. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything will be added unto you. It's in the context of not worrying. It's in the context of entrusting our past, present, and future and other people to God. Just seek first the way of Jesus. Seek first the rule and reign of God here and now. Seek first the life of heaven now. Be open to the God who is Lord over all, who forgives us and offers his grace and freedom to us every moment of the day and then is actually at work in renewing all things. Stop and seek that first every day. It would begin to radically transform the things that are happening in our life, to reframe and reclaim the space. One writer says, you maximize the now and let God worry about the next we maximize the now and let God worry about the next. I know it's easier said than done, but the prayers that begin to lead us into that space and the reorientation of just making a little room in our schedule, that, that's the start. It's the start. I worry when I give little teachings and encouragement like this, I worry that the folks of you in the room that are much more mature followers of Jesus are, again, of coursing. <laughs> it's turned into a verb. You're of coursing, you're rolling your eyes, I actually think it's you guys, and I put myself in that camp, we're the ones who struggle the most with this. Because we know so much about all the really complex prayers and the theology behind it, and we're we're sort of like praying bigger things, and all the while in the moment, we are people who give, like I give an amazing sermon, I come home and I'm not aware of the ordinary reality of my life at home, and I become a grumpy, impatient, angry mess I am not seeking first the kingdom. (laughs) Some of you have like your scenario of that. We know all of this. And so then when it comes to the day-to-day moments, or that's the point when the purpose will happen. Any of you struggling with purpose in your life? Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. And yet we, as we're worrying about what we're going to do and spending so much time and energy of our thought life somewhere else that we do not acknowledge the purpose that is sitting under our feet. The purpose that is sitting under our feet. We have to maximize the now and let God worry about the next. What if there were people in our church, in our city, not complaining about their space, but reappropriating it? You're not just a school teacher, but a life shaper. You're a single mom. Your home isn't just a shelter. It's a chance to shape lives. If you're working in the financial district in a hedge fund and wondering how it plays into the kingdom of God, just say that it's the day the Lord has made and believe for greater things. That's how a city starts to change. And if that feels annoyingly simplistic to you, amen. We have to begin to start somewhere. So a couple things. Depending on the place that you find yourself in, it's really important to consider the two things I want is one, remembering your past and where you came from and the great things that God has done in your heart. And two, remembering that God uses difficult and ordinary situations to sanctify you. Sanctify you is this term that we use in the Christian tradition, which basically means like refinement. Have you ever seen something refined? 
that so often the difficult or ordinary things that you see yourself in, the two things I humbly submit that will be helpful for us to move forward as people, as a body, as lovers of our city, is that we would be attent- we would be uh, aware of how God has saved us in the past even as we find ourselves in an ordinary moment, that this God is still at work and refining and refreshing us here. Even now, we've forgotten because this moment is ordinary, but God did it way back then, right? And, and two is that God actually might be refining you. As somebody who is pain-averse, uh, and as I look at at, at least my... My, a lot of the folks in my generation that I kind of swim with, the pain factor, like the idea that the hard thing I'm going for might be used for my benefit, I find it's like not a really popular message. Maybe that's like every generation, but I've just found it a lot in mine and especially in my own heart. What is the thing that aches right now? And it feels so hard to pray the prayer of, God, would you, what, are you, what would you teach me in this? What beauty and goodness would you bring out of this? And this doesn't just have to be the epic thing. What's the little thing? I, my friends, I didn't ask them if I could share this story. I won't share their names. But my friends have had like the worst housing issues happen in like over the last, I don't know, two, three months. And they have all this other really important things happening in their life right now. And like, it's just been massive construction fail and really working with really difficult people. And it's been, it'd be frustrating for anyone, right? In those, in those kinds of everyday moments, anyone know what I'm talking about? Things you cannot control. What? is happening in your heart. You can't control what's happening. You cannot control the pain. In fact, we get stuck when we think we can maneuver and outwit the reality of what's happening to us. And we can have vision for the future and vision for hope and vision for things getting better. But if all our energy is caught up in just when that's done, just when I'm out of here, just when this, we will miss the beauty and transcendence and joy right in front of us. We will miss the free spirit moving here and now. Paul and Silas in prison, I imagine them sitting there worshiping. All right, God, we're here now. You get this sense as you read the New Testament, literally Paul and Silas are like a kite. The wind's just blowing and they're like, whoo, over here. This is amazing. Okay, this is awful. Okay, this, this is beautiful. Look what God's doing here. Let's pray. What is God gonna do? And here we find ourselves over here. It wasn't that there wasn't intentionality. It wasn't that there wasn't some sort of, of, of plan. We get seeds of that or little pictures of it. But owning the fact that I, there's a whole lot in this world I cannot control. There's a whole lot in this world I cannot control. For me, it's one of the reasons why I raise my hand in worship. I realize I cannot control a whole lot, God, and I surrender both that which I can control and that which I just can't and begin to trust you and your goodness and your faithfulness to both deliver me and make something beautiful out of the ch- wearing the chains that I find myself bound in. And remembering that he's, like the way in which he's delivered you before. In these moments, it's not just that God may bring something beautiful out of the hardship, out of the ache, God might be trying to teach you. But the second thing, remember in whatever ordinary or hard moment you may find yourself in, that God's done amazing things in your past before. Those of you who are here and followers of Jesus, uh, you, you should have a story of the way in which God has delivered you or delivered your friends or delivered the people around you. Amen? Right? Does anyone have that story? 
Paul had that story. Paul was murdering Christians. He was in every way so a religious zealot terrorist. Paul, the guy in the Bible that we just talked about, and he is knocked off his horse and he's met with God. You don't think he remembers this? God, here I find myself in prison, but I remember the amazing things you did back then. Do it again. I remember the great things you did over there. Maybe it's not your life. Maybe it's someone else's. Like that story. The reason why we tell videos and have people share stories is because sometimes we need the faith of others. We find ourselves in the ordinary place and we're like, God did what? Or maybe it wasn't God did what? Like, oh, interesting coincidence. Interesting coincidence. Interesting coincidence. Interesting. How many people in this place have these weird old stories? Maybe God is up to something in our lives and setting people free here and now all the time. And so here I find myself in the wake of cubicle world and I've got to go, okay. All right, what you got? What are you trying to teach me? I know you've done amazing things before. Would you do them again? I know I'm distracted. I know I'm always thinking about what's next. And yes, I want to climb the ladder. And yes, I would like to have more influence. And yes, I would like to do these creative projects. And yes, I would love for my son to stop crying at three o'clock in the morning. And yes, I would love, like whatever the thing is, yes, of course. But if that's all you're aiming at, if that's the only place your head is, we're missing so much joy and beauty and transcendence. We're missing so much of what the Spirit wants to do now. Because as I love to lovingly remind you, church, you are not promised tomorrow. There is absolutely no assurance you are going to make it home in your car today. (laughs) Welcome to church. So what's God going to do? Are you awake and aware of even the conversations that we're going to have after church? To be stopped and slow and present in the moment. God rescued me there. He can rescue me now. So, moral of the story for me this morning, the thing that God placed on my heart is you don't have to wait to be healed. There's healing now. You don't have to wait for rescue. There's rescue and hope now. There is peace now. This is our God here and now. And so this phrase that Paul says, to the prison guard, do you want to be free? Sweet. Believe that Lord, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. N.T. Wright wrote this about this moment. I think it's on the screen. Quote, believe in the Lord Jesus is always the answer to the question of how to be rescued at whatever level and whatever sense. Because when Jesus is declared as Lord of your life, all of the ways that you find yourself caught, captured, imprisoned in dire straits, they all seem to lose their power. They all seem to lose their power whether you are actually delivered or not, like physically. There will be a deliverance in your soul, an awareness and an awakeness. The kite will go up. And there will be a sense of, okay, God, so now, what, if you are Lord, that means in some way I can trust you with even this. If you are king, right? We don't use the word Lord a lot these days. Believe in Jesus as king. He is reigning. That means his kingdom we can begin to step into even in the most ordinary of situations here and now. 
In that place, his kingdom, the dome where God's king is where love and grace and mercy and second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and 77th chances happen. It's in that place where we get empowered to be about a purpose even larger than the thing that we're actually doing right now. Let me pray for you. God, restore our hearts. Remind us, Lord, that there is healing now. I pray over every person in the room, Lord, in this moment that they would, um, ah, God, I hope so desperately, I pray so desperately, Lord, that in my own heart, God, you would, um, God, just show me the places where I need to surrender space where I'm distracted, I'm pulled off course, where I'm not believing you for the revolution that you have started that happens in not just the grand things, but in the ordinary acts of heaven. Over every workplace, over every car ride, over every pain and ache, over every situation that doesn't feel right, over every scenario that didn't go how we planned, over everything that is outside of our control, which is pretty much everything. May we be people, Lord, who turn to you and allow you, Lord, to speak into those moments and use us there to maximize the now and leave the rest to you. In your name we pray, amen.